much. Merry Christmas. There we go. Much better. Much better. So, hey, we've been in a series called POV, Point of View, where we've been going through the Christmas story and looking at uh, different people's encounter and different people's point of view of how they saw the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, which is Christmas. And uh, the first week, we looked at uh, Simeon, who was a Jewish rabbi, and Anna, who was a prophet, and then uh, Pastor Eric, the following week, uh, took the point of view of power, looking at King Herod and how he was threatened uh, by, by Emmanuel, by Christ, by God coming and being with us. Then we uh, had Mary, mother of Judah, uh, uh, pontificating about uh, Mary, mother of, of Jesus, and, and her perspective, and that was really awesome. And then last week, if you remember, we looked at the point of view of being marginalized, that of the shepherds. So today we're actually um, circling back and kind of looking at the the flip side of what Pastor Eric was talking about, uh, the point of power to the Herod's point of view, and looking actually at the same scripture, but taking the point of view of the wise men. So if you open up your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. And uh, Matthew writes this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. This, this kind of idea, you know, wise men. Who, who called them the wise men? What made them wise? You ever really think about that? I mean, we really don't know much about them, right? There are these guys uh, in the East. We knew that they were like astrologers or something like that. At least we assume because they were looking up in the sky. But, but who was the first person to say, those are wise guys? You know, the, you know I, I'm sure it wasn't the people who they were hanging out with, you know, in, in the East there. They're, you know, it's like, hey, we saw a star over there. We're going to pack up, bring all our treasures, and going to give it to whoever's under the star. I don't think those people said you're wise. Like, they probably had something like village idiot or something like that, but not, not wise guys, not the, not the wise men. You know, they, they come rolling into Jerusalem, and, and uh, I don't know if they proclaimed that they were the wise men. I mean, when, when did it get picked up that these were wise men? Men And why were they so wise? And I think that we have a clue here at the last sentence of this first um, scripture that we were talking about, that uh, it said, when they came and asked about the newborn Jews, they said, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And I think that in in um, high insight, Matthew knows, hey, these are, these are the guys, one of the few people that recognized that Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, had been born. And they were wise because not only did they recognize that, right? It says, we saw his star as it rose, but what did they do next? They came. 
They went. They left their, their, their village or their city. They left, left their, their place of employment, and they traveled a long distance to go and be there. And I think what made these wise men wise was that, that, that they saw, but they didn't only see, but they came and then they worshiped. And I think the, the point of wisdom the, the, is, the, is the intersection of knowledge and action. That, that the point of wisdom, at the very point of wisdom, this is the inception, we see that this is where knowledge and action, wise application of that knowledge come together. In James uh, chapter 1, verse 22, he writes this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. I love that, that's, that, that scripture that, that, you know, James is obviously realizes that, that, that many Christians are vulnerable to being educated way beyond their obedience level, right? That, that a lot of times that we, we, we thirst for knowledge and, and, and God loves that. He wants us to, to, to seek him and know him more and more and more. But we're not meant to be a reservoir of knowledge. Like it really doesn't matter at, at the end of the day if, if, you know, you could find Matthew chapter 20 or chapter 2 quicker than anyone else. It, it really doesn't matter if, if you have all of the Bible memorized, if there isn't action attached to it. Last week we were talking about invitation, Right? And this idea that, that it doesn't matter if, if you uh, are invited or you have even knowledge of that invitation. What matters is if you accept that invitation and go. And I think, you know, a lot of times we talked about last week, you know, the, the angels coming and, and being amongst the shepherds. And telling them, hey, a king has been born, the king of the Jews, the Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus the Messiah, is here. And they're like, wow, let's go. And we kind of mused a little bit about, about the idea was, was the shepherds the only ones invited that evening? Or was this a much broader invitation and they were the only ones that, that took the time to go and see him. And we looked at, at, at Luke chapter, I believe it was 14, where we, we saw that parable of the great feast where, where God uh, invited all the guests, but only a few showed up. We see this point of wisdom throughout the Christmas story, right? That we saw it with Simeon and Anna, that they had an invitation to, to be part of the beginning and the blessing of the Messiah. And they accepted that invitation by giving their blessing. That we saw it with, with Mary, that, that the angel appeared and, and the angel talked about, hey, all of this is going to be ha happening. She, she thought about it and then she said, what? She said, you know what? Let everything that you have said come to pass. Knowing all the consequences, knowing all the hardship and everything that she chose 
to accept that invitation. We saw it last week with the shepherds, that the shepherds accepted the invitation to go and be there at, at, the, at the birth or, or shortly after of the Messiah. The problem with uh, the, the point of action and the point of wisdom where, where knowledge and action comes together, uh, the proper application of, of knowledge comes together in this point of wisdom, is there's always, there, that's going to cause a point of contention. You can try to do the most, you know, benign or humanitarian or, or you know, just kind of selfless act in the world that, that, that you can sacrifice and, and try to live out and be the tangible hand of Christ to this lost and hurting world, but there's always going to be a point of contention. And this was true, and, and Eric really talked about this. In uh, verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed. And I'm not going to really go too much into this because Pastor Eric uh, did a great job with it. If you didn't catch it, you can catch it on the podcast. But when he heard this, as everyone in Jerusalem, he, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you and will be the shepherd of all my people, uh, Israel. And this idea that, that, you know what, the point of contention is at the point of wisdom, applied knowledge, because wisdom is a threat to power and greed. It just, it just is, or, or you could even call it sin or selfishness. That, that God talks about a godly wisdom com- confounds uh, people. It seems like foolishness because it is higher than our thoughts. It's higher than how we view things. And there's always going to be people when, that when you're trying to, to live out the vision that God has for your life, that there's going to be opposition, So it shouldn't be a surprise. In fact, it should be a a kind of indicator that that perhaps you are on the right path. And then there was this point of deception, right? Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the first time the star had appeared, which was probably about two years earlier. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. So basically, you have the, 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 the point of power and the point of wisdom coming together here. And, and there's this deception going on, this kind of this idea of, of trying to lure Lure the, the, the wise men into being part of, of this kind of this sinister plot to make sure that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, does not live past childhood. But because of their, them paying attention, paying attention to what's going on, that, that this, they were, this was revealed to them and they didn't continue going on. In verse 9, it continues on, and then we see the point of worship that after this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened up their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, when I read scripture, I try to read it fresh. I try, I try, to, to, try to put aside what I had previously heard and, and try to look at what's happening. And in my mind's eye, try to kind of see the, uh, the story as it unfolds. And this is kind of interesting. I think that this goes to the, the idea of invitation. You know, it, it's not like God was, you know, showing up in some tea leaves while the, while the wise men were, you know, kind of like working through it. Or they weren't, you know, smoking peyote in a, in a, in a tent somewhere or something. I mean, think about this, this, this sign. It's a bleeding star right? It's not like, you know, it was hidden under a bushel. No. You know, I mean, it was shining. It was a, it was a star. And, but they were aware. I mean, they were just, it was there. I mean, and it was a moving star. I mean, it had to be pretty unusual, right? That, that I think a lot of times we just kind of like take a side and just like, eh, well, you know, it was this or, or that. No, I mean, this, this was something obvious. This is this wasn't a secret, but they were aware and they were seeking this. They had been looking for this. They had been anticipating it, kind of like Simeon and, and, and Anna. And because of that, they were able to realize what was going on. And they followed the star and accepted the invitation. I mean, this star is kind of the equivalent of, of like an invitation on, on Facebook. You get those event invites, right? I have like 10 sitting in my, my inbox, and I haven't even looked at them. And, and I mean, there's like invitations all the time to, to this and this and, you know, and, and that. It, it, they're there. I've been invited to something. I have no idea what it is. But, but you know, other people know. But, but I don't know because I haven't had taken the time to actually stop and look at what I have been invited to. Maybe I've been invited to a party in my honor. I have no clue. But this is the speed that God's, you know, doing this, this invitation for people to be part of something amazing. But only a few accepted that invitation. You know, Acting on God's invitation is wisdom. I mean, that, that, that in its essence, acting on God's invitation, accepting his invitation is wisdom. And, and unapplying, unapplied knowledge is foolishness. Remember in, first, in James chapter 1, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. I mean, think about the, that, just how profound that statement is. Just that, that idea of, of invitation. And if we just listen to an invitation and don't do anything with it, that God calls that foolishness. 
that, that wisdom is that God is inviting us to be part of something larger than ourselves. And yeah, being part of something requires sacrifice. Sacrificing something. Yeah, I read a really cool just kind of thought the other day that it was talking about uh, decisions. And a decision is not a decision unless there is a trade-off, right? If there's no trade-off, it's not a decision, right? If I said, hey, I'll give you $1,000, no strings attached, it's not really a decision, right? You just take it. But if I say, I'll give you $1,000, but you take that $1,000 and I own you for the rest of your life, now you got a trade-off, right? It'd be nice to have a thousand dollars, but I don't want to be Mark's boy. So you know, I, I mean, you know, that that kind of idea, right? So, so you know, decisions always have trade-off, and deciding to be part of the party to accept that invitation or not always has a trade-off, and it's a point of decision. Wisdom is applied knowledge, correct application of knowledge. It is the point of worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see this idea of worship being unpacked. So whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Worship does not happen without action. Worship does not happen without risk. Worship does not happen without conflict with others, or maybe just within ourself. And worship does not happen without a cost. There's a story in King David's life where, where he, it was time for him to offer his burnt offering in, in, in this time of, of worship, and, and somebody offered him uh, something just to go and do, and he refused, and he said, he said this, said, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. No regifting here. He says, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. There's always a cost associated with worship. If it doesn't cost you anything to worship, then it's not really a sacrifice. It's not, it, it's not a, a, a gift. It is not worship. But remember from last week, you know, God is not a tyrant. He doesn't, he doesn't require you to give what you do not have. He asks you to give what you do have and to share what you have received. Remember, we saw that with Simeon and, and Anna, that what they had to give was a blessing. We saw with Mary, she gave her heart and her guidance. The shepherds, they gave their presence and their, and their testimony. And the wise men, they gave their riches. That, that, that they gave what they had. They gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as we move on, Maybe the point of wisdom, the point of view of wisdom is, is this, that we should not just listen or be reservoirs of knowledge, but, but be a, a river of action, a river of worship, to take a risk, to pay 
a price to accept the invitation to be part of something that is bigger than ourselves. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this, uh, this story. I thank you for just the, the richness of the Christmas story that, that we can see how different people responded to you. But ultimately, it comes down to what is our point of view and how do we respond to you? God, do we just show up and offer you something that has cost us nothing? Or are we willing to listen to what you've called us to do, to apply it, to have the proper application of your, your unchanging word to us and to move forward and accept that invitation so that maybe someday we will be called wise. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.